Oh, don't you hate it when you don't have time for an intro? I... splitting its experiences into semi-arbitrary units of time. Planets gone around the sun, mm-hmm. it was a temperature, then it was the other temperature, and yep. now the original one again, so yep. it's time to take stock. I'm Paul Solar. I'm next year. Oh, the potential. <laughs> wow, you look great. Oh, Thanks, I've gone a bit closer to you, and uh... <laughs> yeah, it's all fallen apart. A lot of questions. <laughs> Many questions now. A lot of questions. But hey, I can see the next guy coming around the corner, and i got a good feeling about him. <laughs> you can see the other side of my face coming. And I'm wondering... Oh, we are going to list our favourite films of the year a whole six weeks earlier than we usually do. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah, get it done. Get it off. Get it done. Get it off. Get cut it wiped it off. off. Because <laughs> Cut it off and learn to live without it. Because we've luckily gotten lucky. We've luckily gotten lucky. Yes, we on have. On the release dates. Uh, <laughs> uh, we've worked very hard at it. And genuinely, I don't think there's any very urgent 2020, 2021ers out there that have eluded our collective singular notice, except Coda and Bergman Island, which I was supposed to watch after writing that note, uh, but didn't. But didn't. And didn't. The, the world can take care of those two. That, that's, <laughs> the world owes us at this stage. Their legacy is assured. Ours is not. So we must crack on and keep working. Absolutely. Yeah, so we're doing it now, all right? Right, We'll, we'll never be timelier than this, I promise. That's a poorly promise. Yeah. I mean, yeah, less timely from here on. And as usual, we're going to go through our individual top tens, alternating between us, deferring where the other has listed the film higher, mm. although that doesn't happen too much this year. No. The schism builds. People. Yeah. <gasps> we're our own people, mum. Leave us alone. Stop sending us emails. <laughs> it is galling. We both have the same mum and mm. life. And she has her email uh, addresses. We, just when you think you've changed it enough, she <laughs> guesses somehow that it's going to be Paul Salt at 69.com. <laughs> somehow. At 69.com. They did. They, at 69.com. Someone really it's did. Started. They really did choose well. That was good business, creating that domain. <laughs> we shall cover films 30 to 11, just ahead of our number ones, as usual. Mm-hmm. But before that, I actually have honourable mentions for the top 30, because this was a hell of a year. My top 30 of this year rivals 2017, my previous favourite list that we've done for this podcast. Wow. Okay. It has been amazing. There are four movies that just all desperately deserve to be in that top 10 spot, and it just tears me up that they couldn't all be in there. It's very hard. That's life, my buddy. I feel like I could eliminate my top 10 movies and still put together a really competitive top 10 for what's left. Yeah, I I really struggled with the the, the sort of Mm. positions 10 to 8. Again... It, it it always it's it's always up to the day like right to the wire but uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah it was my my looking at my twenty to eleven now and they're great they're mm. still amazing oh yeah do you have anything outside of your top thirty that uh, you want to mention uh, Lamb the Dig Tick Tick Boom and Luca all really really lovely sweet passionate or or creepy <laughs> in, um, <Yeah. laughs> in, in not in that order. <laughs> Yeah, I have uh, Zola, Azor, Lamb, Costa Brava, Lebanon, In the Earth, Pig, No Sudden Move, The Suicide Squad, Memoria, Nightmare Alley, and Tick Tick Boom. Yeah, All just, cool. um, I'm surprised Tick Tick Boom didn't get into yours. I thought it was uh, a mainstay. Yeah, yeah. I, no, yeah. I liked it, but. Um, oh, 
Oh, cool. I, I liked it quite a lot, and I found Andrew Garfield really charming. But um, oh, he was great. Very good songs. I, I had to compare it. Like, is it is it that or what ended up being my number thirty? Yeah, to be number thirty. You'll find out about that in two hours. So, so, try, and, so try and remember what that was. <laughs> okay, Paul, you Space Jam two, our mutual number one. Spoilers. Shh, fuck. <laughs> what's your What's your number ten? My number ten is uh, worst person in the world. Ooh. Space Jam: A New Legacy. Uh, <laughs> the owner That's of Warner Brothers, uh, David Warner. <laughs> weirdly. Hold it. Hold it. You okay, you okay? You okay? No. So, yeah, Worst Person in the World is the third part of director uh, Joaquin Trier's uh, Oslo trilogy. It focuses on Julie, who moves from relationship to relationship and career to career, having the expected mm. discussions with partners and friends about marriage, uh, having kids and all other expectations that comes you edge into your 30s. But mm. she has the feeling it's not for her and for this and her supposed fickleness, she feels adrift and is the uh, self-perceived eponymous worst person in the world. <laughs> It has these hyper-realistic elements, you know, of art simulating reality, and it reminds me a little bit of Canal Score, not just because of the Scandi origins, but the attention yes. to detail that also somehow manages to fly away on these romantic notions, telling you a mm. big emotional story, and somehow being more painful and as painful, more romantic and as romantic as reality. Yeah, I mentioned Canal Score in my um, Jen and the Film Critic review as well. Oh, really? Okay, that's great. Yeah. It's a film that's brutally honest and confronting. Um, for a number of reasons uh, but at the same time the characters are so well realised and charming in their own ways especially the lead played by Renata Reinsfer 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 uh, yeah I, um, I, th- I think I looked at the phonetic dictionary and it might have been Reinsfer but um, uh, I'll, uh, I can't see. remember what she said she was at Rentsfer. my screening uh, okay Scan- Scandinavian languages, mm. Paul, nonsense so um, they're nonsense you, you just make everyone's it up. making it up all the time and, and good for them um, she was just brilliant <laughs> she's so yeah, charming she's great so just naturally funny such a good sense Mm. for for comedic timing uh, as well as just um just 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 dramatic brilliance um Mm. but all in all it was an outstanding cast it was really funny and really Mm. dark when it needed to be um or wanted to be it wasn't afraid to slough off its comedic stylings to punch you full in the face but like a, a lot of films i seem to come across nowadays in a covid world it's a really beautiful meditation on acceptance and embracing life as it is and following yeah, your own it path. really was. It, yeah, exactly. And yeah, it had that sort of anxiety-inducing stuff and the stuff that's... And that really brutally honest Ruben Ostland as well kind of way of mm. just, hey, here's something about yourself you didn't realise that we all knew about, but we do. Here it is. Yeah. Oh, oh no. Um, but yeah, uh, Reinsford or Rinsford, she seems to be that funny in real life. There was a moment in the Q&A with her where she's, mm. um, she was saying, I was really worried the character was going to seem... Um, Oh, what's the word in English? Uh, and someone in the front row offered, unlikable? And she said, no! Get out! <laughs> the word she was after was passive. <laughs> Which is very good. Um, yeah, excellent. Worst person in the world. Yeah. Check it out. And we found this movie relatable. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't say that. It's very relatable. Yeah, <laughs> Okay, my number 10 is The Souvenir, part two. Mm. This is going to be the most important thing you do at film school, your graduation film. It's about a relationship that hopefully many people can relate to. 
presumably there's a film next, but... No, a whole team of students. And no one's giving a direction? No. Sounds fairly typical for an art school. So we are picking up from Joanna Hogg's 2019 film. Um, and it's hard to pick this story up actually without spoiling it because the whole thing is relating to the ending of that seminal film. Um, so I'll try and avoid it, but it's basically dealing with the consequences of something that happened there, um, in a very thought provoking and interesting way. The first film presents a relationship that Mm. is very relatable, but, um, also very fraught. Um, and yeah, the second movie kind of deals with the fallout, um, of that relationship. It's a really beautiful thing that continues Joanna Hogg's, uh, sort of personal history and incredibly, um, crap i need a different word than relatable to use at times in this fucking episode i think all these films are relatable that's that's the issue they're all relatable joanna hogg has always been good at this ever since archipelago which is the first film i saw of hers Hmm. um which was just painfully um similar to my life at times um just in terms of the way it portrays awkwardness Hmm. uh here it portrays something a little more a little more profound i guess just in terms of difficulty and grief and struggling to achieve any kind of artistic vision and what's more in addition to carrying on doing the things that made the first uh, souvenir so great mm. is it really feels like an expansion of her style this great it almost feels like an early film it's really it feels really young and adventurous in a mm. way that you know her films tend to be a little uh not stately but um reserved in their emotion it's a lot of containment a lot of people lying to themselves a lot okay. of people trying to keep it together um, and cracks appearing on the surface. This is a, is a very emboldened and kind of impassioned film mm. uh, that has some really experimental visuals as well. And I, I think she's able to run with the premise that her her um, main character is herself a filmmaker. So okay. you can make sort of films within films and do some really interesting stuff. So it okay. was just a sublime little film. Yeah. And I love the characters so much. <sighs> Amazing. I, this was annoying because I couldn't get a hold of this one. Um, mm. This... I, this I have no idea when or if this is ever going to get released in Australia. Um, I have the first one that I definitely need to watch, mm. but um, oh yeah, I was hoping it'll get there. It got a it. big release over here, a surprisingly big release, I think. Mm, and okay. Martin Scorsese is behind it; he's wow. executive producer. So it's also got Richard Ayoade in it, which I almost feel bad mentioning because it, he's being plastered all over the marketing. He's a very small part of it, but he's very funny. He's doing some improvisation of okay. playing an egomaniacal douchebag, yeah, which right. he does very well. So. <laughs> <laughs> he's in that too so that that helps drive it out there well look out for my top 30 2022 Ooh. <laughs> I'm, I'm gathering experience <laughs> and information and i'm waiting to find what i want to do with that all right number nine my number nine is come on come on come on come on come on come on and listen to my number nine um space jam <laughs> a new leg to visit planet earth You'll have to be born as a human child. At first, you'll have to learn to use your new body to move your arms and legs. You will learn to walk and run, to use your hands to make sounds and form words. Directed by Mike Mills, come on, come on. Um, Starring Joaquin Phoenix as a radio journalist with an estranged relationship with his sister Viv, played by Gabby Hoffman. And nephew mm. Jesse, by uh, played by Woody Norman, uh, Phoenix suddenly has to look after his nephew, which uh, because his sister has to go and um, look after her husband who's struggling yeah. uh, with mental illness. Played by Scoot McNary. Mm. Um, the mental illness is played by Scoot McNary. The the, the <laughs> father is played by an unknown man. Um, <laughs> the Paul can't distinguish from uh, anyone else. And um, no. this eventually leads to Phoenix taking his nephew on the road with him as he works. 
Uh, he's currently working on a documentary on children's attitudes towards questions of community, politics, philosophy, life, morality, and so on. So he's in touch with kids in this way and, and you know mm. what they want from the world, but is completely unable to connect emotionally with his nephew or his sister for that matter. Yeah. Um, and throughout the, this movie, as Phoenix is trying to sort of form a relationship and just get by with um, his nephew, Woody Norman... We get these phone calls between Phoenix and his sister where Phoenix is panicking and regaling her with the trials of the day and all the sister can do yeah. is empathise. Like, yeah, this is shit and having kids can be <laughs> fucking awful and heartbreaking and sometimes yeah, you feel I like you're going to die most of the time. Yeah, yeah, and I hate it sometimes, but then sometimes, it's, sometimes. it's like, yeah, 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 exactly. It's just brutally honest, but it's like nothing else, she yeah. says. And, 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 and mostly mm. we just have these thoroughly heartbreaking interactions between uncle and nephew. Oftentimes nephew yeah. asking these intrepid questions and Phoenix mm. just not being emotionally equipped to deal with them or answer <laughs> frankly. And you're there going, no, you mad insane man, just respect him and tell him the truth. But it is what it is. They're, they're trying and it, mm. it can be heartbreaking and it can be really rewarding. Yeah. And the movie is just this series of moments that at times brings the two characters together and at times drives them apart and not necess- necessarily is the, the, the mm. my note necessarily 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 uh, <laughs> for definable reasons um or, uh, or or it's just something so vague that you feel from the outside that they keep make it work if not for these million mm. silly things it's beautifully yeah. shot. The black and white brings out the scenery yes. in a way that would otherwise blend into the background. It just gives mm. you texture and extra detail. And it's just a very delicate movie that's so painful at times and leaves you with so much love for the characters mm. that you root for them every step of the way. Absolutely. And yeah, it, it's set in three cities and each city feels so vividly realised. Yeah, New Orleans <laughs> you know, was was oh, a world away, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, it really was somehow. Even though, you know, with this black and white cinematography, it just really picked up mm. the vibrancy and energy of these places. And as I said to Jen on the um, Jen and the Film Critic episode, mm. um, I would have watched, I think, a movie that is just Joaquin Phoenix interviewing kids because yeah. there was something just really absorbing and engaging about those sequences. The amusement on his face, in his eyes, when he's yeah. talking to these kids is wonderful. And the affection he has for them and their viewpoints is just... Yeah. Oh, man, it's really lovely. Mm. Damn this book. You're crying. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You're definitely crap. See, you're crap. <laughs> My number nine is Petite Mama. Tu viens m'aider? T'avais jamais vu avant. Tu m'as pas dit comment tu t'appelais? Lenny. Je suis chez ma grand-mère. Elle est morte la semaine dernière. J'aime bien faire des petites tines de chocolat et les manger. Speaking oh. of failing to communicate with children, this is Celine Schiema uh, making a movie about a young girl whose grandmother has just died and her mother is really struggling to deal with it. It was her mother mm. that died. And so she retreats, literally. She runs away, the uh, the mother does, leaving daughter and father alone together. Uh, but when playing in the woods around the uh, family home, uh, the grandmother's home, uh, the daughter discovers another little girl and gradually realizes that, in fact, she has stumbled upon her mother as a girl. Mm. And that she is traveling in time between uh, the two, two sort of realities and the two versions of the home. So mm. it's it's smaller and more intimate than Portrait of a Lady on Fire, but no less potent. Um, mm. At the heart of it, you've got these two girls: it's Josephine Sands and Gabriel Sands, uh, presumably twins, and not just mm. a massive coincidence. Um, but I don't know. I don't know how France works. Uh, they're amazing. They're so good and natural with each other, and you know they're, they're mm. they've 
obviously sisters sort of playing together and making use of this beautiful French countryside they have surrounding them, yeah. making trees out in the woods and uh, playing around on a boat and just messing around in the kitchen. And it's all very endearing. But then there is this poignancy there that this is actually a sort of mother and daughter who have found mm. a new way to connect with each other and process sort of death and aging and sort of finding a way to communicate. And it's just, it's just lovely. Aside from anything else, it's just a really charming story with a lot of magic in it. And once again, uh, Sherman's incredible use of music that was such a vibrant part of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just a really spectacular little film. I really I really love it. <laughs> awesome. Um, again, hopefully I'll be able to see it soon. I hope so. It's also quite a small little bite of a thing. I think it was like 70 minutes long. Oh, really? And it was just, yeah. Shame. And it was just I'd love that. Really... A lovely little punch to the heart. Wow. Your heart does need a punch from time to time. Yeah, then it kisses it better after. Yeah, listeners at home, give your heart a punch. Give your heart a punch. It's good for what ails you. <laughs> Except heart punch. You can't use yeah. heart punch to <laughs> your heart punch. <laughs> yeah, for the love of God, you can't do that. This is, a, you know, two wrongs kind of thing. <laughs> My old dad used to try and fight a heart punch with heart punch. <laughs> That's why he's heavyweight champion of the world. <laughs> shadow. Number eight. Mm. Drive my car. Oh, um, drive or in, it. Or in Japanese, drive my car. Directed by... <sighs> Ryusuke Hamaguchi. <laughs> Ryusuke Hamaguchi. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, based on Murakami story, Men Without Women. I only yeah. vaguely remember the Murakami... St- I only vaguely remember the story from which this is adapted, but from yeah. what I do remember, I think the film expands on it quite a mm. lot. Um, a theatre director played by Hidetoshi Nishijima called Yusuke Kafuku uh, recently widowed is forced to use a chauffeur while staying in Hiroshima to direct a multilingual adaptation of Uncle Vanya. Kafuku, played by... Inim- like this inimitable Nishijima mm. is a softly spoken and too stoic protagonist and we follow the final mm. year or so of his marriage to Otto who is unfaithful to him and his decision to never mm. tell her that he knows goes on to create this impotency that at the same time is weirdly decisive and mm. imprisoning at the same time self-imprisoning mm. that is and it's something that they could break out of but they can't also mm. and then the following three quarters of the movie is set in, in gorgeous Hiroshima um, mm. beautifully med. It's this beautifully meditative drama. Um, half of it is spent in script readings of this multilingual Uncle Vanya, which I found mm. to be hypnotic and mesmerizing and peppered with these observations on the performance process. Yeah. As well as the psychological effect of giving yourself to Chekhov's writing, which is all understated mm. and utterly transcendent, um, described in film with delicacy and a kind of awesome precision. Kafka's chauffeur Masaka, played mm. utterly deadpan by Toko Miura, is <laughs> just brilliant. Yeah. There are these moments when she has to convey being overcome by emotion without changing her expression, and it's pitch perfect. Mm. But it's all those moments when they're driving, Kafku practicing his lines, and um, uh, Misaka driving in silence, eyes taking in everything that this movie fills its three-hour runtime as if it were nothing at all. Yeah. And the name Kafka is no coincidence either. Murakami regularly Mm. references Kafka in his writing, and the situation Mm. this protagonist finds himself 
in has these elements uh like i i think of being told he's not allowed to drive his own car around yeah that's exactly the moment i was thinking the sort of faceless bureaucracy of it yeah he attempts <laughs> to explain why it's necessary for him and the response from mm. his assistants is very much yes yes that is a shame anyway yeah. <laughs> enjoy your chauffeur <laughs> a neutral you, you know it's just this neutral or objective world that's immune mm. to his suffering um, yeah. The inexorability of it all is quite tragic comic, but ultimately this is an epic tale of self-discovery through grief, mm. told thoughtfully and with utmost care before a gorgeous, at times vibrant and at times bleak landscape. It's yeah. just this hole to climb into and wait out the winter. It's beautiful. Mm. It is really beautiful, and I love the insight into the performance process that is mm. is in there. And because throughout the entire thing, he is refusing to take part in his own production, which is something he normally yes. would have done. Yeah. Um, and it's and yet in spite of that is still learning lines you know in his yeah. car so there's this kind of ongoing sort of lying to himself thing but also the reasons and the motivation behind his reluctance to take on a role again yeah. Um, yeah is really just very profound and very interesting and insightful yes yes <laughs> Okay, uh, my number eight is The Power of the Dog. Ooh, I've seen this one. Uh, oh, here's one you've seen. What's it doing? Getting mixed up with her. You are marvelous, Rose. We were married someday. Yeah, so this is Jane Campion adapting Thomas Savage's novel of the same name mm-hmm. um, with Benedict Cumberbatch in the sort of lead role and him and his brother... Played by, what's his name? Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons. Uh, they are a couple of ranchers, um, and successful ranchers at that, and they happen upon uh, Kirsten Dunst's um, little tea room, mm-hmm. uh, which she runs with uh, the help of her son, played by Cody Schmidt-McPhee, mm-hmm. and they get entangled together in a very menacing and sort of dramatic way. And so it's a story about masculinity in the West with Cumberbatch representing sort of the height of toxic masculinity, not mm. going to talk about his feelings, going to be tough, you yeah. know, and he's going to make fun of anyone who sort of threatens that. Mm. And he also is deeply resentful of um, Kirsten Dunst's uh, intrusion into his life yes. um, by marrying his brother and yeah. is absolutely dead set on humiliating her in these awful ways. Yeah, It's a very performance-driven film uh, with just fantastic fantastic casting that is just perfect on every note and just when you think you've got the power dynamic uh, figured out something shifts the only odd inclusion is that thomas and mckenzie is here and it's not quite clear why i don't Mm. know if she was cast a little early or she was just relishing the chance to work with jane campion but it's a Mm. very small role considering um, to have her involved uh she played one of the uh maids um she's the one who finds the fact that cody uh, schmidt mcphee has dissected the rabbit Oh, yeah. And she's yeah, later involved in tennis. It's very odd that she's here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe it is just yeah. to get in on the campion. Yeah. Oh, you got to get in on that campion game. It's such a tight Dude. game. Dude. Um, <laughs> and we have this extraordinary music and atmosphere. Music by Johnny Greenwood and atmosphere care of campion, it seems. <laughs> um, and yeah. it's just incredibly menacing and sinister and this fret just oozing from every moment. And it's got that mm. wonderful sense of where are we going? Yes. You know, the first time I watched it, I just remember feeling unbearably tense throughout the entire thing. But just absolutely beguiled by 
how the layers are stripped back and you learn more about these characters and they mm. absolutely refuse to be caricatures. Yeah. Um, and there's just more, it keeps evolving and changing and it's just really, really involving as a result. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just a fantastic little drama. Yeah. It's, it's mm. beautifully bleak and yeah. it's, it's menacingly bleak and menacingly yeah. beautiful. It's, it's, mm. it's also, I, I, I it, really vivid for me is Benedict Cumberbatch's sort of learned uh, mm. villain because he's yes he's, he's this horrible thing like a Cormac McCarthy character he's an educated yeah. man who chooses to be a savage yeah that's it yeah that's exactly it and it's mm. it's dangerous and yeah. suffocating because there's no way you can go yeah <laughs> absolutely and it's just it has the quality of like a fable or a parable to it yeah it's um there's a mythic nature to this yeah i mean even the title is kind of suggestive of fable isn't it oh yeah absolutely it was a bible reference yeah and it, it has that feeling of sort of Cain and abel style yeah <laughs> drama being played out when the earth is new mm, yeah but it's already ancient <laughs> sort of a lonesome place out here pete unless you get in the swing of things Great. Okay. Uh, my number seven. Uh, take take a seat. Get a cup of tea. Put your feet up because it's boiling point. I'm literally down a corner now. Hey, I'm down a corner. Give me two seconds. All right. Tap, 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 tap. I'm looking at her. What's that say? Oh, dear. It's a fucking joke, isn't it? And it's her first week, so it's my responsibility. It's not a first week in any fucking kitchen, though, is it? There's a million kids out there who would die for this fucking opportunity that you've been given. Um, ah, Jesus, directed by Philip Barantini. Um, it's a film mm. about um, all of our collective mental breakdowns. Um, <laughs> Never starring... go to a restaurant. It's the worst thing you can do to a person. Oh, for the love of God. <laughs> only slightly, Gotta stop this. Only slightly better than working in one. Um, <laughs> starring Stephen Graham, Jason Fleming, Vinette Robinson and mm. more. She's so good. Yeah, she's incredible. Basically, it's 90 straight minutes uh, behind the scenes in an evening at a popular London restaurant. Um, it's one take. They they yes. did a few runs of it, and um, it kind of, you can tell because it kind of one. yeah, it kind of adds to the haggardness of the characters. Um, <laughs> we follow the table staff who have to handle a smorgasbord of of patrons of differing levels of cuntiness, <laughs> including but not limited <laughs> to racists and influencers. Yay! You know, it's staff who were overruled by their bosses, who are in turn mm. despised by the kitchen staff, who, thanks yep. to the blisteringly unstable Gra- uh, Stephen Graham, are just tearing themselves apart. Oh, man. His, his life it's... is falling apart before our very eyes, mm. and he, he is unbridled and unrestrained um, in self-destruction, but also just destroying everybody who works, everybody around him who works with him. Mm. The tension is palpable and unrelenting. Yeah. There, are, there are actually one or two moments when we follow a character outside or the, to a private room, or in one yeah. instance, two two characters connect um, around a discovery, and mm. you just have to squeeze in all your breaths and emotions because you can't afford to <laughs> to have them out at any other time. Um, yeah. And and all you know, within the first ten minutes of the movie, these seeds are being sown that you know are going to bear fruit before the end. Like these little details that make you think, "Oh yeah. no, that's going to go wrong." And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're just counting down the clock on several bombs that are going to blow up in your stomach. Yeah. And it, it starts with a visit from the food safety inspector who, you know, yeah. you know, has an important and necessary job, but is the biggest job's worth 
you've ever met <laughs> and comes prick, sloshing yeah. in with institutionalized condescension and you just kind of wish yep. Stephen Graham would smash his head on the table but <laughs> you then remember that this is realism and what will actually happen yeah. is another vein is going to pop in his eye yeah. and you know Jason Fleming is fucking incredible he's <laughs> to, to use your beautiful phrase for for Peter Sarsgaard in The Lost Daughter he's lit bite the man just a self-satisfied <laughs> smug wanker oh, TV chef who needs a kick in the face but also has yeah. a d- degree of power over Stephen Graham and it's um, it's just a suffocating web. Um, yeah. Yeah. Vinette Robinson has to be mentioned as well. The C, uh, mm. She is great as the kind of, it's not sous chef, is it? Sous, she's just the uh, sort of Yeah, kitchen. she's like the second chef. Like the, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, scenes between her and Stephen Graham are just heartbreaking mm. because, uh, thanks to their chemistry, the exha- exhaustion in their mannerisms, but also the sort of knowing regard she yeah. has for Stephen Graham's character the the fact that they sh- they have they share what he's going through and yeah she's a victim but she's also a saint and it's just it's all there on her face it's a remarkable yeah. spectacle of a movie it really is and that's everyone everyone is under this enormous pressure which means that they're lashing out which adds the pressure to everyone else it's like a chain reaction happening yeah. where you can just see that nobody's going to be able to t- calm down and treat each other with respect in this environment mm. and it just it's just spirals and it's horrific it's it's for me it's because i've never enjoyed watching like those fucking hell's kitchen gordon ramsay bullshit no. things because i was just think why is this good to watch why is it that you know, someone who is supposedly very good at cooking is therefore entitled to be an absolute prick to everyone. And this feels yeah. like an absolute exposure of that mindset of yeah. what that actually costs people in the yeah. long run. And I love it. You're fucking for my man. You don't do the You don't give a fuck about us. You fucking come and think you're food. You're a fucking ass. You do the right thing. You go under. And so do I. My number seven is Parallel Mothers. <laughs> To change tone and pacing a little. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be sampling all of these, uh, the trailers of each one of these movies, and I already know what the trailer to Parallel Mothers is like. So you've already had a little glimpse. You've had... The Pedro Almodovar thing of um, very softly spoken but impassioned people speaking in Spanish. Um, yeah. He insists on that. I've never understood why. It's pretentious. And, um, <laughs> deep utterly pretentious. pretentious. Um, in particular, the husband's incredibly deep voice is going to be in there, you know, talking yeah. about how he does, he wants a test and all of that. It's, yeah. it's the story of Penelope Cruz is um, is a mother and Melina Schmidt as well. And they are parallel mothers. Oh, God, Whoa. what does that mean? Well, let me tell Fuck. you if I can. Um, they both give birth the same day, and it's a, it follows their story for a bit, but then it becomes clear that they are in, entangled in some very crucial and important way. Mm. And so the first thing to say is just that it's interesting how you've got the world here, which is full and vibrant and beautiful in the way that Alma Devar always does. Mm. You, all these bright reds and greens and yellows that he always uses, and this, you know, food is always present and beautiful and... Mm. There's just there's something wonderfully inviting about the world and the spaces he occupies. This is a, a one of those kinds of movies you watch where suddenly you're in those places for a bit. You're in her mm. apartment. You're in the cafe that she has around the corner. You just you, you get to know these environments and they're gorgeous. Yeah. Um, but you're also getting to know the characters and their drama that is unfolding between them. But in spite of the high drama that's going on, it's never melodramatic. I yes. find there's never like soap opera, never erupts into the big, you know, sort of fuck you moment. It's yeah, no, 
it's always just very real. It always feels yeah. like reasonable human beings trying to work out deep hurts and pains for each other, which yes. isn't to say this is unemotional because my God, there are moments in this that just, you know, make your heart stop and you catch your breath Devast- in your it's throat. It's devastating, yeah. There are some devastating moments going on here that are just sublime. I think the tone in general is very serious, but beautiful and warm as well. It's a, it's, you know, a, a very positive view of humanity in general, mm. I think. In spite of the fact that at the heart of it, you've got this sort of horrible moment of history being literally exhumed Mm. throughout the whole thing. But what the movie wants to do is say, this is the humanity that was disrupted. Here is the story of just people living their lives. And this was what was stolen from people, you know, in the Spanish Civil War, when a a number of men from uh, Penelope Cruz's village was taken out and shot. And actually, there's a very poignant moment when Melina Schmidt is talking about how she doesn't really know anything about this and doesn't get why it's important. And Cruz has to say, you should know what country you're from. You should know, you know, what what it cost us to get to where we are now. And that's a very powerful moment. Um, (sighs) Yeah. And, and and Smith, meanwhile, is is hiding in her past her own particular kind of tragedy, a real, really painful kind of history that she has, yeah. um, which also comes out. And it's just all of this ex- is explored in such a, a tender and an empathetic way that it just it just makes me really just want to specialize in Almodovar and seek out <laughs> everything yeah. else he's done and definitely be first in line for whatever it is he does next, because, my God, mm. he's just knocking it out of the park at the moment. Yeah, seems to be a man bursting with um, insight mm. and and passion and yeah, God, it's yeah, it's incredible. Don't think I've ever seen a movie of his that didn't have this reaction <laughs> in me. Yeah, absolutely. Mi amor, yo te quiero mucho, eh. Tienes rasgos de mi madre. Speaking mm. of me. Uh, number six is Mitchells versus the Machines. The Mitchells <laughs> versus the Machines. The last humans must be here somewhere. Wait. They're coming. Is that a burnt orange 1993 station wagon? Or is it? Ah, who are these unstoppable warriors? We're the Mitchells. The only people who can save the world. <laughs> Mitchell versus the Machines. <laughs> Mitchell Mitchell. He's well, a lovely big man. guy. Phil Mitchell yeah. versus the Machines. <laughs> <laughs> Written and directed by Michael Reander and Jeff Rowe. Um, mm. From producers Lord and Miller of Lego Yay. Movie. And one of my favourite movies of all time, Into the Spider-Verse fame. Yeah. And you can tell because of the sheer love and care that's gone into this. Mm. It definitely picks up where Spider-Verse left off in terms of being visually innovative and mm. multiple Spider-Mans. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but it also has... Yeah. You know, it's about... Um, uh, Kate, who is a soon-to-be film student at university and is looking forward to getting away from her family, um, mm. who don't get her, and she doesn't, she doesn't get them. And so the visual style is heavily lent on the sort of mm. homebrew, uh, like visual effects style based on the movies that she makes for in, on YouTube, mm. and it's so quirky and it gets that. It feels like a kid is. You know, or a younger person is doing it without feeling yeah. like a sixty-year-old man is writing it. <laughs> um, yeah. Probably because that's not who's writing it. Um, mm. But it also has a sci-fi eye that is visually unique. Mm. Uh, no, sorry, it has a sci-fi eye, but it also has this visually unique eye for the crap. Uh, mm. Whether it's an awkward expression or a badly <laughs> stuffed dinosaur uh, or yeah. <laughs> something similar, it's so well observed. It's bafflingly mm. great. Um, <laughs> it's also very affectionate. Uh, and sweet about the family relationships. So um, yeah. some of the performers, Danny McBride playing the dad, 
Uh, Maya Rudolph, the mum, both yeah. brilliant. Danny McBride mm. just always surprises me coming coming out with something that I really love him in. Um, the two <laughs> kids, Abby Jacobson playing Kate and Michael Reander, the writer and director, as Aaron. Uh, both brilliant. The director lending his weirdly deep voice for the 10-year-old boy is, is hilarious. Um, and Olivia Colman in it as well. Yes. Um, gives an incredible performance, often, yeah. I think, performing outside of a direction. There's, there are a couple of scenes in there where you just think there's no way she was directed to deliver the lines like that. And <laughs> Olivia, Olivia Colman's brilliant spark is just, mm. just adding these layers to the movie. Um, so and that's good. that is this movie. It's just moments of surprise, and and, and the movie's full of them. the The comedy yeah. is constantly, consistently surprising. Um, just when you're settled with it, something comes up uh, mm. that is utterly brilliant. And it's also yeah. this film's. Uh, it's also this year's film that made me cry for most of the second half. So it will always Aww. have a special place in my heart. <laughs> but the fact that it is one of the funniest films of the last two decades sort of punches it into my heart. So that's nice. Give that heart Excellent. a punch. Give it a punch. What's the worst that can happen? Yeah, fantastic. It's a really, really fun movie that has a lot to say about family dynamics and just, yeah, yeah, felt very... And interesting, I saw it the same weekend as Ron's Gone Wrong, so it was very interesting to see these sort of movies about technology and, um, Mm. you know, that we're... It's interesting to see how we're communicating with kids about that, about anxieties Mm. that we have about technology and its overuse and its place in our lives. Yeah. Mitchells have always been weird, and that's what makes us great. (laughs) Hold on a second. What's a Furby? Why would someone build that? My number six is Licorice Pizza. Ooh. Oh, is that how you spell it? Not in the UK. <laughs> I'm at the Grandma Mary one day. But her mommy is yelling no. And her daddy has told her to go. Listen, young lady. But her friend is nowhere to be seen. So how'd you become such a hot shot actor? I'm a showman. That's what I'm meant to do. So what I think the common thread here is that I really am just gravitating towards worlds that I want to inhabit because okay. we've got Paul Thomas Anderson here, and this is mm. very much like his early stuff um, mm. in terms of no longer having that menacing sense of terror that he's been focusing on um, yeah. for his last for the last decade or so since um, yeah. there will be blood. Um, this is more in keeping of stuff like Boogie Nights and as much as he's just sort of gravitating, gravitating towards a car- um, a few characters and sort of seeing how their lives play out in this very sprawling mm. and seemingly unfocused kind of narrative that feels like a wonderful shaggy dog story with eccentric mm. and bizarre characters coming in. Um, but it's just set in this beautiful world of the 1970s um, LA, yeah. um, this intoxicating world with just immersive levels of detail. Um, and I think he, you know, he worked on Inherent Vice. I think he's retained a sort of Pynchon-esque eye for character and story. Um, some <laughs> of the episodes that happen. Like, I was just think that, you know, he gets involved in a a restaurant that gets taken over by a movie director or a bizarre yeah. night out in which he tried to deliver a movie bed to um, Barbara Streisand's um, boyfriend. Yeah. Um, he just happens to be, was it John Peters? Yes. John Peters, terrible movie producer, John Peters, yeah. spider-obsessed movie producer. Yeah. Um, and that, and the result, and it's happening during the LA blackout. So there's just this wonderful sense of adventure to the whole mm. thing that you could just set out into the streets and make your fortune there. And at yeah. the heart of it, you've got this incredible duo performance from Alana Hyam and Cooper Hoffman. 
yeah. who are just great. They're infinitely fascinating as characters. Alana Hayam is this woman who is young and she's brilliant and she's really passionate, but she fights with everyone. That is her yeah. main thing. It's that she fights with everyone. She cannot get along with people. And yeah. it's at its absolute funniest in a sequence where the mo- the scene starts with her after having had a big fight with um, her family, who are yeah. also great. And I think it's actually her family and the band mm-hmm. Hayam. Um, yeah. She sits down with one of her sisters and the sister says, you know, you really can't fight with everyone all the time. And she just says, fuck off and gets up yeah. and walks off. <laughs> scene ends. Yeah. It's so good. And Cooper yeah. Hoffman is just this really f- driven kind of um, bullshitty young guy who's going to talk his way into a great job somewhere. Probably. Maybe he won't. Yeah. He's a bit of a Del Boy character mm. um, who's just, again, trying to have a bit of everything in order to come across come across the get rich skit. Uh, get rich quick scheme that's gonna yeah. see him uh that's gonna see him get his fortune and they're just great foils together i love yeah. seeing them getting into these capers and yet there's all this tension between them as well that's mm. again very relatable to use our yes. words today yeah it's just a charming film it's a film that i could just watch endlessly i feel like i saw it three times in very quick succession and oh, it cool. has that just sort of settle in kind of quality mm. to it where you're just gonna spend time in this world with these characters Awesome. Yeah, the the mm. two leads are incredibly charming. I thought it was mm. going to be more of a an awkward teen boy sort of thing, but yeah. he's so confident. And the two of them together, <laughs> she's got this look in her eye like she's toying with um, her prey <laughs> at all times. And, yeah. and and he is just unfazed by it all. Um, <laughs> Quietly confident. Yeah. And, <laughs> oh God, yeah. Just some real standout moments of hilarity. Yeah. as well in, in the middle there <laughs> um there's a couple really close together that um mm. i'm sure we can mention it at some point but i don't want to spoil oh, yeah. it for anybody oh no so check it out because it's all based on stories that thomas anderson heard about la in the 70s and things that happened yeah. to him as well so <clears throat> god yeah it's just it feels it it feels authentic Speaking of authentic, okay. Paul, I Uh-oh. love you, but also oh, my number five ah. is your number one. <gasps> we can't talk about it then. No, but let me let suffice to say Space Jam, a new legacy. Oh, shit. You're going to hear all about that in just a minute. Can't all right. Wait. Well, I guess I'll do more talking then. It's Go number on. five. The tragedy of Macbeth. By the pricking of my thumbs. Something wicked this way comes. My husband. King that shall be. If we should fail. We fail. Beth. What? Shakespeare. the place. Shakespeare on a list. What next? <laughs> well... First, so yes, this is, I don't know if I have to break down the plot. So this is the story of <clears throat> Macbeth, who oh. is um, handed a prophecy by a scary witch or group of witches, depending on where your persuasion uh, takes you, uh, mm-hmm. who tell him that he shall soon be made the... Um, now, I always fuck up the order of the uh, ranks that he gets. I think he's going to be made Fane of Cawdor. Um yeah. He is currently Fane of Glams. And once he has Cawdor, he will then be king. Um, Mm. And also, your best mate, he's going to beget a line of kings. Oh, okay. Mm. I don't need to think about what that logically means for me. Let's just uh, accept that prophecy. Sounds good. Well, hey. And then he is made Fane of Glams. Oh, shit. Well, I better make myself king then. Might happen by its own. 
Uh, he's just made some other guy Fane of Northumberland, so it's not looking great for you. You better kill them all. Okay, mm. so he does, and yeah, he does. it goes as you'd expect. So it's first of all just absolutely gorgeous an adaptation, incredibly mm. memorable images, fascinatingly interesting uh, expression of these ideas. Having the witch played by a single. Um, person whose name it is an absolute sin I did not prepare for this because my god if she's not the performer of the movie oh yeah um, in a movie that is full of just absolutely incredible performances but the witch Catherine Hunter mm. oh god she's incredible she is she just is. immense her presence her otherworldliness is just mm. fascinating and she exists in this world that feels like old Hollywood acting on German expressionist sets um, yeah. It honors the theatrical roots whilst presenting something compellingly cinematic that feels just mm. completely, oh, it just belongs on that she screen. Sucks in all of the details. She's just <laughs> just the center of anything that she should. She ever is, be in. yeah, she's the best. And we've got Denzel Washington as Macbeth and Francis McDormand, um, mm. both here just emphasizing the beauty of the language through their performance mm. and their really natural delivery, yeah. um, which I love. And throughout the whole thing, just being really, like, this might sound condescending, but just been really psyched that Denzel Washington was up for this and that he's so clearly giving it his all. Um, yeah. Just makes me really happy that he did this. Um, and that the Coens sort of, well, that the Cohen managed to talk him into mm. it because this is Joel Cohen, sans even, who may be retired. Um, yeah. But this actually fits really comfortably into the Coens' work. They do a lot of stuff about tragedy and farce oh, and yeah. about the inevitability of things going wrong. And that feels very much con- um, consistent here. Mm. Um, some of you may know that I spent uh, a better part of the first lockdown actually reviewing adaptations of Macbeth with Katie Maiden for our podcast, oh, Scottish Film. First yeah, we did it. it. Uh, oof. It was uh, under-publicized, we shall say. But it was under-fucked. a very uh, underfucked as are we all. And it was a very fulfilling experience. Um, it means that we have quite a good grasp on the script, and this does some really inventive things, in particular with Lady Macbeth, who mm. there is an issue with Lady Macbeth in Macbeth, in as much as she has to go from, do chill out, everything's fine, to, oh shit, I've gone mad, in one scene, mm. um, with no connective tissues. So she's repurposed here, and some stuff that's given to other characters is taken back and given to her, which ah. makes her transformation much more compelling. And Ross... Creepy little bitch oh, Ross God. is made really Ross. good. It's not the first time Ross has been made the third murderer and made to be an overall malevolent presence. Uh, P- Polanski mm. did it as well, but it works really well here. And yeah, mm. he is also extremely well played by Alex Hassel. Mm. He's very, very good. So yeah, yeah this beguiling. is... If you've never seen an adaptation of Macbeth on the big screen before, I think this is this is like the, the night version of the 2015... Um, Justin Kurzel, or is it Jed Kurzel? Yeah, the M Night version. Justin <laughs> the M Kurzel. Night Shyamalan version. The Justin Kurzel version is like the daytime, and this is the night. This is the mm. the crazy dream of Macbeth, the the mm. cinematic nightmare of it. And um, yeah, I just fucking love this thing. Mm. I, <laughs> I fucking De- love it. <laughs> I fucking love it. <laughs> I, I I always remember Denzel's physicality um, come mm. the end. Um, there's yeah. there's a, a, mo- a moment lurching. where he's engaged in a sword fight, and he's incredible. Mm. Yeah. And it's terrifying to watch. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's amazing. He starts that sword fight without a sword and just sort mm. of is so confident because he's been told that he's in- mm. indestructible and he's allowed, you know, the the power of these visions that were given to him to completely yeah. subsume him, him. And it's just yeah. amazing. I have no words. My voice is in my sword.
My number four Ooh. is The Hand of God. Amore, non correre! Non ti preoccupava! Ti sei fatto grande. Guarda tua madre. Directed mm. by Paolo Sorrentino. So it's a coming of age story. Uh, a teen in Napoli played by uh, Filippo Scotti, who, uh, in character uh, in the movie Fabietto, uh, whose life has changed with the death of his parents, yeah. and he must find his place in the world. Uh, it, it, he follows cinema and this sort of white whale of the woman, this adolescent infatuation and mm. attempting to find m- meaning and you know purpose. In a world that's um, that, that's taken his lodestone from him, um, is reminiscent to me of uh, Elena Fra- uh, Elena Ferrante a little um, mm. in setting and in the ambience of the piece. Um, mostly, this movie has this lovely, indulgent way of settling into a scene. I think at the moment he's called into the apartment of the Duchess, an elderly yeah. society lady living a couple of floors above, or mm. the strangely lazy family scene in the sun, and then they're on this oh. boat and. Love the bristling that. adolescent arousal just beneath the surface, mm. uh, surface, uh, and it's also wickedly funny. The, this scene in particular, <laughs> where some of the characters are thoroughly mean spirited, but it's yeah. just this extended family unit, and it just is. Yeah, that's your lot in life, and what's important is what you do from that. Um, it also, it also very heavily looks into you know this the idea of cinema and um to what extent it can help you find meaning in the world um there's a really i i assume it's a a genuine quote from fellini um about cinema being bullshit but a nice distraction (laughs) maybe yeah (laughs) it's Um, the sort of thing he'd say was very irreverent yeah it it culminates in a discussion with uh, a character that is just so well observed and and passionate and yet brutal and that's what this this film is to me it's dealing very very passionately and very poetically with tragedy and um and turning it into a positive and mm. um it just looks amazing it's it's so well acted um it's the, the 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 movie is a is a glass of wine on a summer's night it's yeah excellent it's again it's that dichotomy isn't it of the sort of gorgeous visuals and this sort of deep well of angst beneath and it's it mm. rectifies those two things very well <laughs> Um, I don't want to talk too much about it for reasons we shall come to later. What? Uh-oh. Ulterior motive, my old friend. Terio motive. Teriyaki sauce. It's uh, going to get us all. And speaking of teriyaki sauce, my number four is Spencer. Is she here yet? Not yet, ma'am, no. Then she's late. Yes, she is late. A horror movie in which a beautiful young woman tries to rescue her children from a terrifying family of ancient vampires. <laughs> <laughs> there are. It's the story of Lady Diana. 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 Lady Diana. Yeah. Lady Diana. Uh, she. Uh, Indiana. Lady Diana Jones. She. Um. She returns to. Well, she doesn't return home. She goes to um, Sandringham Castle in mm. order to spend Christmas there with the royal family, which is her family in theory. 
Christ. And uh, it all it all goes wrong in hilarious mm. ways. Uh, there are three people to talk about here. First of all, screenwriter Stephen Knight mm. ends a terribly dry spell that included um, what was the movie of his we covered? Uh, the Matthew McConaughey boat oh, movie. Oh, Serenity. Serenity. That's why I couldn't get inconceivable out of my head. Mm. Um, maybe because it was. Um, mm. Yes. Fortunately, he's back on form. Back to his lock days. Uh, with this because he has written mm. an insightful and fiercely imaginative script yeah. that really does make a fable out of a tragedy as he claims mm. he will do at the beginning and anyone who complains that this film isn't historically accurate needs to not be allowed into a cinema again because <clears throat> they miss the point of literally yeah. an entire medium everything we've been doing here you've missed what in cinema i i don't think a lot of that happened <laughs> get out um, secondly, we have uh, Pablo Lorraine. Second, this isn't ranked. These three people all do in- equally extremely good work. Pablo Lorraine. I rank them. Stun- that's fair enough. Based on mm. how good they look in a swimsuit. And Pablo Lorraine <laughs> wins that, so he's the f- most important because it's a stunningly beautiful and overtly creepy film that is paced mm. like an anxiety attack with occasional moments of just wonderful intimacy between characters. <laughs> and reprieve. Yeah. And reprieve, yes. Just moments of... When she gets to be with her kids or with Sally Hawkins, a person that she actually relates to and can speak mm. with, they're just it's just little islands amidst a, a tempest um, that is just beautifully still. The incredibly haunting quality of stillness, of tradition, baked into the walls of yeah. this place. Um, yeah, and of course, thrown about throughout this, we have Kristen Stewart, um, who, yeah. you know, oh, bit too breathy, bollocks. She manifests... An utterly convincing and mesmerizing portrait of the troubled royal, and she's fascinating and just incredible. Just um, can't you can't prize your eyes off of her in every scene of this movie. She looks iconic. Um, it sounds like somebody's yeah. been up late at night reading uh, bad reviews for Spencer. <laughs> I've heard a couple of people say things about Spencer, and I'm I'm here okay. to say well, I won't I'm stand not, for it. I'm not going to stand for it. What I will stand for is this movie because it's a film that just it captures something very tangible in the British psyche. I think an urge to resist the tradition that all too often defines us and mm. as well as the privilege that you know is so often associated with us even mm. by ourselves and enjoy simple pleasures and freedom and i think regardless of diana's actual life that is what she came to represent and it's very interesting the way in which her death occupies a royal obsessed british mindset because mm. in so many ways she represents everything that was anti-royal and as we're mm. seeing still seeing my god it still becomes such an important issue in this country Mm. With, you know, Harry and Meghan leaving. Um, it was Harry, right? It was Harry. It was Harry. With them leaving last year, possibly you know? due to in- <laughs> possibly due to institutionalized racism within the royal family, amidst mm. other things, and also just how horrific this lifestyle is. Mm. Um, and also, yeah, this year, in which the Queen might be using some of her own money to bail out one of her douchebag sons. Oh, you know, really? From, from, yeah, yeah, she's going to be using her own money to bail to pay off the, one of the witnesses to um, Andrew's uh, sex crime. Oh, so, wow. Okay. That's good stuff. There's lots to feel good about there. So, yeah, this just continues to be incredibly relevant. And yeah. it's a very bold film that I'm absolutely thrilled that they had the guts to make. It's great. With amazing turns from... You know, supporting players, Sean oh, Harris, yeah. Jack Farthing as Charles was... Um, yes, yeah, so he's oh, so just dead. Just accurate. Yeah. <laughs> he's been absolutely battered down and transformed into exactly what they needed to be. Mm. And he talks about, you know, having to do things that disgust him because, you know, he has to. And it's very obvious what he's really talking about. And it's just... Oh, he's so good. And Timothy Spall is the utterly terrifying yeah. um, head of the guard. Um, and Sally Hawkins is the really just 
breath of fresh air. Thank God someone here is human. Yeah. Um, Stella Gunnett or Gonet mm. or Gone, I don't know, as the queen as well was. Oh, she was great. Oh, she, she does oppressive. so little, but it's just terrifying. Mm. It's, yeah, really, really good stuff. And I love the ghost story elements of this film as well. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, it was just so fanciful. And the entire, there's an entire sequence that comes from her returning back to the Spencer household that just, oh, it just thrills me. I'm so yeah. excited by it. Yeah. Will they kill me, do you think? Well, speaking of it, my number Ooh. three is it. It's Riders of Justice. Are you still here? No. I didn't confess. Long time. Directed by Anders Thomas Jensen, starring Mads Mikkelsen, Nikolai, Le- uh, Nikolai Leakas, mm. Lars Brugman, uh, and Nicholas Bro as Emmentaler. Yeah. Uh, Mickelson plays Marcus. <laughs> Mickelson plays Marcus, a soldier in Afghanistan with a distant mm. relationship with his daughter. Yeah. Um, the wife slash mother is killed in a train crash, mm. and Marcus comes home to care for the daughter and grieves in the only way he knows how, which is to not grieve effectively and yeah. keep it all inside and mm. to resist his daughter's attempts to get him to see someone. Yeah, uh, three men with various uh, boring scientific <laughs> skills um, to others yes. come to this conclusion that this wasn't an accident and track down Marcus mm. to give him the info needed to locate the men responsible for his wife's death. Um, mm. But they're not prepared for the reality of his vengeance and their constant presence mm. at the house leads to them becoming completely embroiled in Marcus's life and his daughter's. The, the, the three men have this three stooges quality, um, which somehow... <laughs> yeah manages to augment the tragedy of Mads Mikkelsen's uh, loss as he silently grieves and refuses to show weakness or connect with his daughter in the way she needs, um, or, mm. or rather is oblivious to this need. It's this excellent mix of light and dark, just just, just genuinely hilarious moments underscoring these moments of, of complete emotional devastation and complete emptiness. And what great comedy does, as we know, it can lead to real lasting emotional payoffs it's just incredibly funny and easy to love. But the action beats are gritty and hefty. They're more vivid because of the contrast that, the, that these are fake men and their inclination towards sharing their emotions, not to mention the yeah. domestic life they're creating by dint of being in his daughter's life. Mads Mikkelsen is uh, just amazing. He's just in, in the skin of this borderline uh, <laughs> like aggressive maniac. Um, yeah. Very intimidating in a way that only Mads Mikkelsen seems to be able to do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and and it also has just this great black Eastern European comedy uh, to it as well. Mm. The Journey of the Bike um, is this movie long joke yeah. that just has yes. such a wonderful, <laughs> such wonderful connotations and just says something brilliant about the whole affair. Um, mm. Yeah, it, it was it was fantastic. It really was. It was a very interesting and engaging film that I, I really enjoyed on because, yeah, it's dealing with these things that. It, just the, the way in which it positions the sort of father-daughter storyline yeah. at its heart, I think, was really, really moving. And also these men, these unusual men and the tone shifts, which are just so natural, but really, yeah, really Yeah, natural is the word. <laughs> yeah. The way that you can have this black comedy and then something really genuinely horrible, you yeah. know, so close together is, yeah, mas- masterly mm. on, behalf, on behalf of the director. Let's get far. Okay. 
Speaking of speaking masterly of directors, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've got the French Dispatch at number three. Ooh. It began as a holiday. Eager to escape a bright future on the Great Plains, Arthur Howitzer Jr. transformed the series of travelogue columns into the French Dispatch, a factual weekly report on the subjects of world politics, the arts, high and low, and diverse stories of human interest. You don't think it's almost too seedy this time? No, I don't. For decent people. It's supposed to be charming. This is a series of stories revolving around the city of Ennui in France, the fictional city, <laughs> I assume. Um, <laughs> and we have, <laughs> we have got a framing device, a prologue, and three stories, my favorite of which is either the concrete masterpiece or the private dining room of um, the police commissioner. Um, mm. Each of which feature different characters, and the premise is that they are all segments within a fake newspaper called the French Dispatch of the yeah. Kansas City something Herald, I think. Yeah. Um, which is very clearly a riff on the New Yorker. Um, mm. and yeah, it, it's I, I gravitate to these stories. Each one has these incredible performances, and they are all in their own way about the standard um Wes Anderson thing of failure to yeah. communicate. And failure yeah. to connect with other people. And I really lean to the private dining room of the police commissioner just because of Jeffrey Wright's sorrowful performance as the lonely food critic, which is just a highlight of the film for me. I absolutely adore it. But perhaps mm. visually, the concrete masterpiece is the most exciting of the three. So amazing comedic turns in it as well. Oh, it's so funny. Um, it's, it's all of Wes Anderson's idiosyncrasies, the framing, the attention to detail that sometimes has characters blinking on cue. Um, yeah. And the, the visual comedy throughout is just superb um but it's also him at his most niche a homage mm. to the new yorker and french cinema is just totally unique you know yeah. i can't think of anyone else who would be able to pull off something like this with so well and so competently and in such a way yeah. that feels so much both drawing from its influences but also its own unique world that is just mm. intoxicating again it's the world i just want to be an ennui in france and see these places yeah. and meet these characters because it just it, it all coalesces into a much more neat whole than I think some of his other films have recently with this through line mm. of writing as a career and as a lifestyle, which yeah. is also intoxicating. The idea that Bill Murray as the editor keeps on staff. He keeps on writers who have yet to actually write anything, but he is yeah. a friend to writers and he loves good writing. And, mm. you know, he'll go and visit uh, Jeffrey Wright's character in prison and just give him a slim book and say, here, it's not much, but write a review of it and give it to me and I'll, I'll publish it and, yeah. you know, give you some money for bail as a result. And it's just so romantic. That's the thing is yeah. it's a really romantic film. Yeah. Incredible performances throughout. Far too many. If I start naming them, I'll only feel miserable about the ones I've left out. So I, yeah. I'll, Everyone I'll in not. It. Everyone in just it is just superb and really, really entertaining. And yeah, this is yeah. just one of my favorite Wes Andersons in quite a while. Mm. Mm. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it, it needs a rewatch for me, and mm. and, and then maybe a, oh, yeah. a, a a Patreon episode where we actually just discuss <laughs> it for about forty minutes. Yeah, rewatches have been extremely kind. I've seen this four times now, and each time, mm. it just I, I get more and more drawn into it in a way that I I tend to find with Anderson. Like I don't think mm. I loved Grand Budapest Hotel the first time I saw it, but I ah, did. Okay. I really mm. did by the time I'd seen it three or four times. Yeah, the detail kind of demands it. Yeah, and the stoic Excellent. nature of the character you start to see through the cracks yes. in the armor the more yes. you watch it. Yeah, there's a lot to pass there. Mm. A message from the foreman. One hour to press. You're fired. Really? Don't cry in my office.
my number two. Mm. Hang on. My number two seems to be your number two. <gasps> but my number two is your number two. But Let's no, you can't. Your number two can't two. be my number two if my number oh. two is your number two. Oh, shit. I better rewrite the list. That doesn't make any sense. All right. My number two is now Space Jam and New Legacy then. Okay, phew. Well, I'll talk about my number two, which is oh. The Green Knight. A new Green Legacy. Knight? The Green Knight. Actually, is still my number two, everyone. But don't tell Paul. <laughs> what was that, mate? No, nothing, mate. I was just talking about how great Space Jam 2 is. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, dunks. <laughs> oh, greatest of kings. Let one of your knights try to land a blow against me. Indulge me in this game. I will be deep. Green Knight, 2021 movie, uh, directed by David Lowry, um, who gets into my top 10 yet again. Mm. Um, almost the number one spot, uh, visually and stylistically mm. picking up where he left off with Ghost Story. Yeah. Starring Dev Patel, Alicia Vikander, Sean Harris. Yep, Sean Harris. Just checking yep. that I haven't just repeated myself weirdly, especially after conf- thinking he was going to be the villain in The Kingsman. Um, Sean Harris, Joel Edgerton, Sarita Chowdhury, Ralph Ineson, Ineson, mm. Barry Cogan, Kate Dickey, and more. Yeah, uh, it's a reimagining of the tale of Garwin. So Garwin, so <laughs> Garwin, and the Green Knight, to whom Garwin must journey to test his courage and face mortality. Yeah, there's actually no historical consensus on whether it should be Gawain or Garwin, but I do yeah. like Garwin. It sounds, it makes you yeah. sound like you know what you're talking about. It, yes, exactly. <laughs> they, they were doing it in the film, and I took Gawain yeah. for years. And uh, mm. it's like Latin, isn't it? No one fucking knows. No one fucking how, knows anything about anything, really. That's true. And the Lost people who daughter. think they know are dangerous and you need to watch out for them and you should dox them. But other than that, um, other than, than that advice that I didn't give. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so c- courage in the face of mortality. Uh, it's a ghost story all over again. I feel overwhelmed. Uh, th- there, are, there are nods here and there to elements of this mythical quest. That, again, this is a movie that demands a rewatch. Um, uh, it's the 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 second watch for me was illuminating. Uh, I can't want, wait to watch it again and again. Yeah. Um, the performances are amazing from the comfort from the comfort of Sean Harris and Kate Dickey's King Arthur home uh, and family, yeah. with um, the chaotic threat that Barry Cogan, the wild and nature, <laughs> uh, yeah. poses to Joel Edgerton's distant, mysterious retreat with. Um, uh, Alicia Vikander who also plays uh, the sort of common love of his um, yes. back home um, it, it, this unknown, it's unknown new experiences it's mm. every every stage in this it, it, it's it's a new level with new challenges and mm. and, and threats and um, that's not to not to uh, gloss over as well the moment with the um, the uh, lady whose whose body or, or, or head is uh, in a lake and he has to Oh yeah, fish yeah. it out, which is played by I can't I can't remember. She was in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the yes, lesser of the she... two <laughs> intellectual properties. Indeed, does she then later show up as the um, the bride? Yes, yes she, she does. does. Yeah, very interesting. I've seen a lot spoken about how women seem to be interchangeable in this world to Dev Patel's character. Yes, mm. yes, it, that I noticed that on this on this watch, and mm. it definitely got me thinking about that. Mm. Um, uh, Dev Patel though is effortlessly brilliant. I fall in love with this man more and more. He's just oh my so God. fucking charming. Yeah, and there's an it's the consistency and image and ambition which 
is what makes this special for me. Yeah. From the first second, you can tell you're in for something really special. The mm. uh, opening monologue delivered with this ferocity. Yeah. You know, bringing life to sort of old text and this mm. crowned Gowan with his radiant halo. Yeah. Um, you know, which um, Nell pointed out to me, the decision to represent everybody, you know, wearing the crowns with the halos behind them mm. um, as they're depicted in... Um, Renaissance Is it Renaissance? Art. Yeah. Art, yeah. David Larry has this eye for style and it's just there in every shot. Every frame is perfect. Mm. The the score by Daniel Hart is yeah. fantastic and evocative. The, yeah. the whole movie just evokes mystical England with this wonderful vividness and artistry. Mm. And it tells at once a really relatable story of courage in the face of the inevitable and this sort of booming counter tale of want of wanting to move unseen to not even be a ripple in the water as you pass through. And mm. it, it feels much like an orchestral piece building to one final note that is one of the most memorable final scenes in all of cinema for me. Oh yeah. Um f- fuck me, just I just wrapped. Utterly wrapped. Um yeah. it's well paced, brooding and meditative. It's a piece of cinema that I I hope will be revisited again and again. Yeah. It's it's absolutely fantastic. I've now yeah shown it to a few different people, and it just it's so it, it's it's so unique um, mm. as one thing, and it just looks so beautiful, and it has this great unpredictability to it as you're watching it. Um, mm. uh, ironically, considering it's a tale that is hundreds of you know a thousand years old. I don't At think it's quite a thousand years old. I think it's eight hundred years old or so. But it's just yeah. it's just a gorgeous film, and I really love the way in which it explores masculinity because you have all of these mm. female characters who, in their own way, seem to represent comfort or uh, complacency. Um, Mm. abandoning the quest, which may be senseless, but is being undertaken for the sake of serving the male characters who all seem Mm -hmm. to represent, you know, in particular King Arthur, this sort of needless or arbitrary sense of um, victory or aggression um, Mm. in terms of going out and sort of spilling blood and these immense battlefields that we experience too late. And yet the the profound truth that ends up coming to Dev Patel and his sort of vision seems like a realisation of a balance between the two in which he now is ready to accept his own virtue on his own terms mm. defined by himself and um yeah it's obviously a very personal story for david lowry who talks about you know having mm. to for example overcome his relationship and dependency on his mother in order to stand as his own person which feels yeah, okay. like its own thing as well in there in the narrative mm, so absolutely there's just it, with something this steeped in symbolism and this mysterious there's going to be all sorts of readings to occur and i just can't wait to sort of read more read more about other people's uh, experiences of this film and see what yeah. different people bring to it. But it'll be easier to, easy to get them into it because it's just such a beautiful and affecting film. Yeah. That is why Light does what he does. Are you ready? Right, let's quickly... Time is at the essence, so let us mm. race through numbers 30 for 11. Uh, yeah. yeah, what's your number 30? Cool, number 30 is Titan. Titan. Uh, very, very surprising body horror grindathon from Julia <laughs> Ducronau of two unlikely yeah. people finding comfort in each other. I'll never yeah. tell. Ooh. Number 30, The Last Duel. Ridley Scott's medieval Me Too movie. Uh, visually <laughs> stunning, well-acted, grandiose story, ambitious plotting, and surprising sexual politics. Go on, then. 
All right, then. Number 29, The Kingsman. Uh, Prequel to Kingsman movies, refreshingly good action, rollicking adventure story, and very fun performances all around. Yeah, absolutely. 29, Passing. Rebecca Hall's softly melodramatic story of black women navigating white society in 1920s New York, richly evocative and very thoughtful, and Tessa Thompson and Ruth Negger are amazing in it. Uh, 28, Nightmare Alley. Nightmarely. Del Tor- uh, Guillermo del Toro's tale of grifter grifting go. himself into a corner with intense performances from Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Tony Clare, and Willem Dafoe, and a very, very good, lovely performance from Rooney Mara with violence and magic realism always teasing at the corners. Absolutely. One of my favourite closing lines of any film ever. Um, yes. <laughs> 28, The Summit of the Gods. Stunningly beautiful mm. French animated movie about ambition and obsession on the steeps of Mount Everest as a Japanese photographer hunts down the legendary mountain climber and beauty ensues. Mm, beauty <laughs> behold number 27 the french dispatch mm. yeah lovely little homage homage to traveling reporters and the tradition mm. of printed news full of wes anderson nostalgia and fairy tale view of the world 27 riders of justice you know about it mads mickelson God. and a ragtag group of oddballs set out to avenge the death of his wife and a darkly comic danish action drama very enjoyable mm. characters a really compelling father and daughter relationship at its heart Great. 26, Last Night in Soho. Mm. Uh, an Edgar Wright movie about a fashion student recently moved to London who witnesses the murder of a woman in the past through her eyes. It's yeah. really well-paced, shot and acted. Thomas and Mackenzie is great. Mm. Uh, very funny and stylish. One of those just constantly su- uh, refreshing and stylish movies. Yeah. Uh, surprising movies. Absolutely. 26, Last Night in Soho. Edgar Wright does that thing he does, and it's very good. Thomas and Mackenzie plays Ellie, a young, possibly psychic fashion student who moves to London and starts experiencing the life of a young singer named Sandy in her dreams. Or are they dreams? Uh, it's stylish, what? playful, and very endearing. Great. I'll have to, I'll have to watch it. Number 25, Spencer. <laughs> Pablo Durain directs his Princess Diana horror movie with a brilliant performance from Kristen Stewart. I stole the horror movie thing from you. Claustrophobic, <laughs> intriguing, very compelling. Yeah, absolutely. Twenty six, uh, sorry, twenty five. Candyman, uh, writer director Nia Da Costa, along with co stars, uh, co writers Jordan Peele and Wynne Rosenfeld, uh, mm. breathe vibrant new life into the Candyman mythos in a frightening, haunting, and visually stunning new horror film. Uh, what's Da Costa gonna do next? Oh, a Marvel movie. Yeah. Uh. Hope it's good. Number twenty four. No time to die. Very well paced, <laughs> fun, fitting into the Craig Bond saga. Yeah. Absolutely. 24, The Lost Daughter. Another great actor-turned-director, mm. Maggie Gyllenhaal, offers mm. a troubling portrait of a woman at two points in her life, played boldly and authentically by Olivia Colman and Jessie Buckley, at once struggling with being a mother for the first time, with a career, and being a British woman on holiday. Both extremely stressful situations, <laughs> and she horrifically but relatably struggles with both. As you, uh, you only can. Number 23, <laughs> The Sparks Brothers, documentary Ooh, by uh, Edgar Wright about Sparks and their uh-huh. luminous and multifaceted careers. Uh, so inspiring and charming worth watching for any lover of music yeah. uh, Edgar Wright manages to make his mark and Sparks undoubtedly acquire new fans as a result yeah but I've never heard of Sparks just see it just, just watch it you fool just see it and start your new life uh, 23 the worst person in the world right hmm Yes. Um, speaking of horrific but relatable Joaquin uh, Phoenix Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix yep that's it yep. Good night, everyone Joachim, Joachim Trier delivers a fantastical but completely grounded portrait of a talented but fickle young woman, uh, played very naturally by Renata Reinsev, I'm going to say, Reinsev, uh, as she struggles to figure out what she wants and where she belongs. Great. Uh, number 22, Don't Look Up. Very uncomfortable and upsetting mm. farce about the end of the world and media uh-huh. political sideshows preventing the human race's salvation. Relentlessly and unashamedly unashamedly misanthropic not a rallying cry but it gets the pitch just right it's a ludicrous and horribly horrifically accurate grotesque 
Hooray. Uh, 22, mm. speaking of um, all of that, 22, All My Friends Hate Me. Where the hell is this movie? It was the hot ticket at the London Film Festival, absolutely blew audiences away, has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and doesn't even have a trailer yet. Um, it would mm. probably be higher if I could see it again, but it's a British horror comedy about a young man who goes on a birthday trip with some friends and starts to believe that they might actually hate him. Uh, it's social paranoia as horror, and it could not possibly hit harder for me. Excellent. Number 21, Inside. Uh, the Bo Burnham comedy feature on uh, Netflix is mm. poignant and beautiful. Uh, a series of sketches around the idea of being stuck in one room through through COVID lockdown, uh, whose mental well-being deteriorates bit by bit. It's very well observed. Uh, there's a wealth of talent and creativity on show and was something to cling to during an extraordinarily difficult year. Yeah. It's also very, very funny. Absolutely. 21, boiling point. It's not very, very funny. Yeah, speaking of me being uncomfortable, this is a relentless journey into the heart of darkness that is a busy restaurant as we follow our superb single take. In a superb single take, the fraught lives of a kitchen staff and waiters as pressure mounts, especially on head chef mm. Andy, played by Stephen Graham, in what might be a career best, but that is a tight race. Yes. Mm. <sighs> Number 26 is motherfucking pig, yo. Yeah. Uh, Michael Sarnowski, uh writer and director, about Nicolas Cage looking for his pig. Where's it his is pig? A beautiful... Where's his pig, everyone? Where's me pig? <laughs> it's a beautiful, understated, well-acted yeah. movie. Uh, so evocative of a good life lived and passed. The ending really was a re- moment for reflection, and it really mm. overwhelmed me. Proof that Nick Cage is capable of brilliance yeah. uh, still. Um, it just chooses not to sometimes. <laughs> he chooses not to a lot. It's fascinating. A lot. Oh, God. Okay, number 20, Censor. Prado Bailey Bonds. Deliciously niche mm. horror film follows Neve Algar as a censor during the video nasty controversy in England of the 1980s. Mm. It's her job mm. to watch loads of horrible movies and decide what she needs cut, what needs cutting to protect the deli- delicate British public mindset. But who's protecting mm. her and her delicate British mindset? She goes mad. It's great. Yeah, uh, it is. 19, Judas and the Black Messiah. Shaka King's historical drama about a man on a plea deal with the FBI to infiltrate the Illinois chapter of the Black Panthers. Yep. It's a rousing argument for socialism, a very tense thriller, mm-hmm. and a heat for the 21st century as far as I'm concerned. Stanfield and, uh, Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel mm-hmm. Kaluuya are, yeah, are incredible together. Absolutely. Uh, number 19, Tita. Uh, Julia Ducournau for, uh, offers another brilliantly mm. disturbing exploration of the body and identity and violence as an expression of inner turmoil and also an excoriating look at uh, family dynamics and in particular fatherhood. Uh, if you can mm. stomach it, it'll blow your mind. She goes mad. It's great. Oh, great. Okay. Uh, <laughs> number 18, Benedetta. Paul Verhoeven's mm. historical sex drama <laughs> thriller about a nun blessed by religious visions who starts a relationship with a fellow sister and makes a bid for power. Weird and wonderful, vivid and explicit and sexy and funny and sexy. Really interesting <laughs> look at a religious hypocrisy with a beautifully gross uh, setting of a medieval plague town. <laughs> I didn't remember you'd seen this. That's awesome. Yeah, oh, I the... adore it. Oh, so good. Medieval? Uh, early, early modern. Uh, 17th century. Yeah. 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 Uh, number 18 Benediction my favourite 21st century Terence Davies as of now you know um, <laughs> a very stylish no. but completely earnest biopic of Siegfried Sassoon with immaculate performances and direction this I think marks the start of the entries that I really really wish were in my top 10 and we're at number mm. 18 yes you're right The all of these at some point I think were in my top 10 yeah uh, number 17 Paper Tigers director mm. Kwok Baltran 
Uh, about three aging oh, men yeah. who have long given up kung fu investigate the mysterious death of their shufu and re- rediscover the connection to the martial art. Ah. Reading's difficult today. Uh, <laughs> really funny, easy to love, great emotive leads, surprising comedy beats, and satisfying yet very believable action. Fun, fun, fun. Watch, watch, watch. Yay. Uh, speaking of fun, 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 number 17, In the Heights, the film that I absolutely mm. needed this year. The first thing I saw in the cinema after lockdown. John M. Chu inventively directs Lin-Manuel Miranda's stirring musical about the various facets of immigrant life in America. It's bold, beautiful, and just incredibly well-staged. An absolute mm. fantasy of a film. Lovely. Fantasy, mate. Fantasy. Number 16, Licorice Pizza. Everything Paul said, uh, charming and funny. <laughs> Coming of age, uh, yeah. P.T. Anderson style, which is to say against the backdrop of sleaz- sleazy L.A. <laughs> Love, Love it. Love the sleaze. Uh, speaking of which, number 16, Benedetta, Paul Verhoeven, <laughs> directs a movie about a lesbian mystic nun in the 17th century in a French monastery, and it goes exactly how you think it will. Uh, it is peak Verhoeven, so as usual, mm-hmm. once you stop his- laughing hysterically at how earnestly batshit crazy it is, you will start to think about what it is actually saying. And also, uh, Virginie Efira Ephira is uh, mm-hmm. amazing too. She goes mad. It's great. Excellent. There's a bit where Jesus attacks snakes with a sword. <laughs> yeah. That's all I need to say it's about like the that. Only sim- similar piece in movie history I can think of is Orgasmo, so take that with you. <laughs> Number 15, The Lost Daughter, confronting and compelling Maggie Gyllenhaal adaptation of an Elena Ferrante novel about the burdens of motherhood. Yeah. It's a crushing responsibility. <laughs> crushing responsibility. Uh, 15, Annette. Uh, Leo Carey mm. directs the Sparks Brothers musical with Adam Driver, Marion Cotillard, Simon Helberg. Disparate elements, but every element works superbly well. And in particular, Carey's uh, surreal expressionism works wonderfully with the Sparks Brothers' operatic sense of camp. It's a joyous and Ooh. a joyous and melancholy thing. Joyish. Joyish. Um, I, I I read that it was uh, Carax. Oh, is it Carax? Carey sounded more French. Surprising man. It did, yeah. <laughs> But I think you pronounce the X and, and the T's you don't pronounce is a horrible oh, country. Fuck me. I wish it I wish it were gone. <laughs> um, number fourteen, power of dog. Mm. Desolate and alienating experience. Alienating. Alienating. Mm. Desolate, desolate and alienating experience. Beautiful and brutal. Suffocating, great performances, dissonant score. Yes. <laughs> uh fourteen, drive my car. Oh, a Haruki Murakami adaptation. I know exactly what that's gonna be, unless it's burning. Well it's not burning, so it does go pretty much as you'd expect. But Ryosuke yeah. Hamaguchi um expertly yeah. navigates the strands of story and weaves it all together into a potent missive on grief, artistry, and connection between people. Amazing characters, seductive pacing. It is a treat. Yeah. Mm. Uh number thirteen, Spider Man, No Way Home. Woo! So good, so much mm. fun. Um uh, I've just written Willem Dafoe. Yeah. <laughs> Willem Dafoe. There you go. Uh, re- really great villains and just so much better than I ever could have thought a crossover would have mm. been. It had so much emotional heft, yeah. uh, great characters, great Garfield. Great Garfield. Yeah. Oh, he gives good Garfield. He uh, does give good Garfield. Number 13, come on, come on. Uh, an yeah. awful lot of entries in my top 30 about how difficult or horrific it is to have children. What am I trying to prove to myself? Well, Mike Mills... <laughs> nothing, that's what. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. I'm happy with all my decisions. Uh, Mike Mills directs an intimate and profound film about the attempts of one man, Joachim Phoenix, Joachim Trier, to bond with his <laughs> young nephew, Woody Norman. Um, yeah, it's a very moving film with a lot to say about how we speak to each other and how we speak to kids. And why him. we should. Mm. Why we should and and shouldn't, shouldn't. Uh, number 12 parallel mothers yeah mm. just uh really gorgeous uh bittersweet movie set against a uh, captivating historical 
<laughs> the interest drama um, <laughs> around the Spanish Civil War. Yeah. Just amazing performances, and yeah, I mean, Paul said it all. Absolutely, is it, absolutely, I absolutely did. Um, yeah, just beautiful thing. Um, Twelve, Judas and the Black Messiah. No mm. idea why it was on the 2020 Oscars and not this year's Oscars, but hey, it's a 2021 yeah. film and it is just monumental. It's profoundly cinematic from its bombastic score to its definitive performances from Daniel Kalia and Lakeith Stanfeld, who face off like the new Pacino and De Niro. It's also just yeah. an immensely timely story of police brutality. And mm. you can join our Patreon to hear our reviews of our number 11s, which are... Summit of the Gods. And the hand of God. So if you want to hear about the various what? aspects of God and how great he is and what he can do his for various you. various bits. His various bits. Then uh, you sign up for that Patreon, you motherfucker. Go on. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. We'd really appreciate right. that, actually. And I would really Same appreciate it. Same for our number ones. If you Not could really. Tell me. That would be lame. <laughs> and you can make me appreciate you by telling me what your number one is. Well, Paul. It's out of this world. Ah, oh, Space Jam 2! A, a new legacy. <laughs> how, space Jam, Space Jam, Space Jam. How improved that movie would have been. Had some members if of only. Sparks showed up in that giant crowd scene. And it was directed by Leos Carax. Um, yeah, that my number one is Annette. Paul. Yay. One, two, three, four... Written and directed by the people I just said. An <laughs> opera tragedy starring Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard with a surprisingly great tragic turn from Simon Hedelberg yep. as the accompanist conductor. He's one of the guys from Terrible Show, The Big Bang Theory. <laughs> um, He's amazing in this. Yeah. Um, Henry McHenry and Anne Defrenu <laughs> fall in love and have a child, mm. after which the darkness within Henry leads him down a path of murder and parasitic yeah. guilt, and Annette becomes a dark means to an end for both parents. Mm. Um I mean, it, it, if you hadn't already surmised, this is unique. It is utterly unique. It has the feel of being performed on a stage, thanks to the the the, the sort of scene setting and the way everything is filmed. Yeah. It's sometimes in that Wes Anderson fairy tale sense where it doesn't quite feel like it's part of this world, um, but it's never jarring. It never pulls me out of the moment. And this, actually, the cinematic style gives the eye sheer yeah. focus a sharpness sharpness of image on an expression or solitude the slow descent into madness i think sparks and Carax is just a particular and peculiar blend of surrealisms yes you've got the hypnotic recursive nature of ron male's lyrics mm. uh, um i'm thinking oh god just any <laughs> anything especially <laughs> especially the stuff that are sung by crowds like the yeah uh, like henry's audience Six women um, have come forward, all with similar all with stories. Similar story, <laughs> subjected to Henry's abuses, his, his violence, witnesses to his, his anger. violence, and his anger. Uh, yes, um, very good. That, yeah, um, and then Carax's poetic eye mm. he has for, and his just ability to yeah to God. shoot love and loneliness. Mm. Um, you know whether it's scenes of Adam Drive of Henry McHenry preparing for his stand-up with a banana and a cigarette and a dressing <laughs> gown and boxing, yeah. shadow boxing in front of the mirror, mm. or Anne in like alone in her limo or at yeah. home like struggling with the child and Henry with the child had just drinking whiskey with the with Annette balanced on his hand, you yeah. know, lofted lifted into the sky. There's just 
you're alone with these characters and it's kind mm. of it's it's suffocating um there's life life singing in this as well it brings mm. a realness to the whole thing it's all yeah diegetic singing is great they're all <laughs> the uh, and you can hear as they're moving about or fighting mm. or in one, one stage giving head um mm. yeah it just 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 adds this extra thing to it that makes mm. it feel realer all all the while being weirder <laughs> yeah. and, and more sparks and <laughs> more leos caracs yeah um, caracs whatever and it's you know opera demands more straightforward lyrics it just sounds great when it's in <laughs> foreign languages <laughs> um but sparks have this innate se- seemingly innate ability to compose catchy mm. tunes but with yet simple lyrics um yeah. and it gives the movie this wonderfully comedic glint there are also you know some of the pieces are definitely set pieces i think get uh is it you, you used to laugh you used to laugh yeah you sure ain't laughing at me no more when he's yeah, yeah. Out in front of the audience yeah uh, what's your problem my, yeah what's your fucking fuck problem fuck, off. fuck yeah. out of here my conductor friend with adam driver and simon heidelberg yeah careful with the stairs my conductor <laughs> friend yeah it's, it's exploited uh, it's exploitative no, not really. No, not really. It is exploitation. <laughs> no, not really. Adam Driver sings with such anger and force at times. Yeah, um, he 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 com- he comes across as so threatening at times, where he's yeah. just he's just all anger and strength. Mm. And the fact that he managed manages to get that out in his in his voice is mm. incredible. Yeah. But then you have these really melancholy but huge numbers like stepping back in time and sympathy for the abyss which give me yeah. chills every time oh I'm, absolutely the hairs still stand stand up on the back of my neck mm. it, jesus it, it those two pieces are incredible mm. but as with all truly great films it had the capacity to surprise to sadden yeah. me to fill me near bursting with joy and just to stick with me so I'm thinking yeah. about it, and you know, I'm so thankful that this has a soundtrack because I li- I, mm. I listen to it yes fifty times. Absolutely, um, I'm just I'm so thankful. Sparks finally got a movie made, and mm. I would recommend everyone watch this. But if you're not familiar with it, please watch Edgar Wright's The Spark Brothers Doco first because it's yeah. a really good primer. It's a it really is. good introduction to how they work, to yeah. how they write, and um, who it they are. just elucidates <laughs> yeah who they are, and it just elucidates everything that's needed for yeah. going into an it. Yeah, I'm. And I have very blow your mind. I have very similar thoughts. It's an extraordinary film that's just incredibly feels incredibly new and exciting, and sort of yeah. it, it's so great how well the quirkiness of the sort of Sparks lyrics works with Carrick's um, yeah. uh, style. Um, yeah. But I just want to mention another name, which is uh, Devin McDowell, who plays Annette in the sort of closing moments of the oh, film. Yeah, God. who is just extraordinary. Like I really was blown away by her, and it yeah. doesn't seem like. It seems like that's her actual singing, which is unbelievable. Yeah. How good she yeah. is in this, in that scene. It just, yeah, it's it, absolutely incredible, and she's mm. extraordinary. And as is the film, yeah, a really yeah. unique film. You're not going to see anything else like it uh, this year or many others. And yeah, yeah it's definitely going to just make you smile. I think. I think so. Everything will be all right. I should probably talk about my film. Do you want to sing some more Sparks instead? I don't. Okay. But I might sing... 
yeah zoom zoom <laughs> definitely cut a lot of that out but uh but i knew what you're doing and the listeners will get it as well yay and that's the beauty of the edit that yay. is the extraordinary part of the edit it's june my planet arrakis is so beautiful when the sun is low rolling over the sands you can see spice in the air the outsiders ravage our lands in front of our eyes. Their cruelty to my people is all I've known. What's to become of our world? Yeah, my number five. Your number five. This is Denny Villeneuve's hit new film. You might have seen it. If you haven't, yeah. you should catch it because it's a blast. Um, yeah. How to describe my experience of Dune? I remember going to see it at the IMAX in Leicester Square. Mm-hmm. And that happens, that opening happens with the deep voice yeah. sort of, you know, calling and, and, and insisting that uh, dreams are messages from the deep. Mm. And just being surrendering to it. <laughs> just absolutely, mm. completely giving over control of my mind and body to this experience. And. Yeah. Often, you know, it elicits kind of titters and, and rolled eyes when you describe the cinema as being a religious experience. But mm. there are so many aspects of going to the cinema and really getting engaged with a film that can only really be described as having that same impact yeah. devouts have when they go to their church. And if it sounds like a sort of crazed attempt to put into words a weird sort of drug experience or something, then good, because that really is... And it is. Yeah, yeah. It, it really is that hard to put into words. Just, I remember my chest tightening and mm. holding my breath and discovering that I hadn't breathed in a while and stomach sort of fluttering, just being in love with this film, um, putting aside any questions about it that I might have and just going with it. And it's yeah. all down to this sort of absolutely immense power of the image that Villeneuve mm. wields so effortlessly in this film. Mm. It is an absolute piece of expression that feels monumental the way in which he uses visual effects so naturally to create just a absolutely coherent world. Um, He's singular in this at the moment. Um, If you look at Blade Runner 2049 and um, Arrival, he's just doing things out there and putting images out there which are singular. Um, Mm. I can't think of someone who's sort of similar in terms of the, the impact they're having and the way in which they're able to create a kind of cinematography that feels new this feels mm. like this was due to be released in 2020 and it's a shame it wasn't because in some ways because this does feel like the cinema of the future if you think of Giorgio yeah. Moroda trying to find the sound of the future with his uh his <laughs> yeah. uh what is it Moog module or I forget the the, the synth yeah. that he had um yeah. this feels like the cinematography <laughs> of the future um yeah. <laughs> and I just adore it um looking past the image if I can for a moment of its striking color palette and searing visuals then you will find a very involving story an epic story that um obviously stems from the frank herbert novel and has been enormously influential because you can just see everything in here you can see star wars and game of thrones you know the poison chalice being handed to a noble family to come away to this place where to a land they don't understand to try and instill their values on it um and just the devastating reality of that that ends up happening and this incredible consciousness of the unknown yes absolutely arrakis in general is just such a immensely foreboding place that really recalls the sort of deserts of lawrence of arabia um yeah 
And ultimately, you can already tell at this stage, even without sort of moving in, through the visions and through what we learn about Timothy Chalamet's character um, of Paul Atreides, we know that this is going to be an indictment of the white messiah concept, that this is not going to lead to a place of peace for the people of Arrakis, and that it's going to a much more troubling and frightening place. Um, Mm. And then just incredible supporting characters. The one who always stands out every time I watch it is Rebecca Ferguson as Lady Jessica. Yeah. Um, This kind of glacial beauty who is also incredibly Mm. packed full of emotions that she can barely constrain and fear, an immense fear that she has for her son and for what she has done and what she may be forbidden to do. Um, yeah, and then you have just this incredible oh, warmth from the House Atreides people, like how, like um, mm. Oscar Isaacs, <sighs> yeah, um, who plays the father Leto Atreides, and mm. he's just he's he instills this sort of he's this classical father figure, in as much as he's flawed only in his arrogance and his failure to yeah. appreciate, he's he's Ned Stark essentially, so of course he has to be killed. Um, yeah. spo- spoilers. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, oh no, I don't want to watch this. Uh, he's got a special suit of armor that has a gap in it, perfect for his beard. That's pretty much all you need to say about that. Um, he, he instills values within Paul and represents such a purity, an impossible and unsustainable purity, that later on, mm. when Paul does his little, like, uh, sal- uh, salute thing before the final battle, yeah. um, and he's been away for so long from the story, and to have him yeah. come back with his own little tune, you know, just as Paul does yeah. this, and you realize that he is in the sun, like the father lives through the sun, is just yeah. a really beautiful moment in what has been a mm. very exhausting journey. And a little yeah. thing that, hey, in spite of the dangers of this land and in spite of the treachery they have experienced, perhaps this kind of nobility might endure. And it's a beautiful kind of moment. Mm. Um, and yeah. then other background characters. God, who you got? Josh Brolin. With Josh Brolin, I remember I read the thing that Dennis, Denny Villeneuve said, well, it was simple casting him because Gurney, Gurney Halleck is a poet and so is um, mm. so is Josh. Uh, and okay. that, that makes so much sense when you watch it you realize he's so much more than just a badass you know those moments where oh, he's yeah, in the yeah. background of scenes playing a, a musical instrument and talking so romantically uh, about about the things he's seen and then yes jason momoa is just the most excellent guy <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's just a fucking cool adventurer and he's so you can see how what's his these fucking are... name in this what's the character's name duncan idaho <laughs> That's it, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I couldn't get Corbin Dallas out of my head. <laughs> oh God, it's not that. That's probably where that's come from, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's he's superb, and it, these are all just they're all just playing aspects of his psyche of Paul's psyche as he gets old, older. Um, hands him mm. a score. My God, it's just Simmer has been consistently making the these huge, huge scores that yes, just completely mm. tell it. And whenever I recall a moment now, I'm just remembering his incredibly weird. Um, sort of uh, mm. sounds, you know, these dissonant echoes and, you know, right from the off, this kind of strange clanging sound that sounds like someone rattling around a radiator yeah. and it just sounds alien mm. in this beautiful way. So I've probably used the word beautiful about a hundred times in talking about this movie, but my God, is it gorgeous. Good reason. Yeah. It's just a stunning looking film. And yeah, it it is just something that functions and will continue to function now as a way in which I reaffirm my commitment to the cinema specifically as yeah. a institution, as a venue, the as lady cinema, at lady cinema as a place in which we all partake in shared dreaming. It's just a marvelous film. You know, they will say of bad movies, just switch your brain off. This is a movie that fucking comes over and 
pulls the plug out and forces yeah. and plugs it into your heart and your penis and forces yeah, and you to experience it punches your heart and just forces you to experience this on a purely visceral level but once the brain starts clicking in um on repeated viewings you'll start to mm. really appreciate the depth of the story that's being told here it's um yeah just a monumental piece of work i must not fear Fear is the mind killer. Where the fear is gone, only I will remain. Well, I tell you what, I really want what? to hear the OGT's OG team's favorite films of the year. Ooh. Yeah, that's what I want Me to do too. right now. So, okay, c- can we? Well. I can do that, I guess. Oh, my God. What's such a good coincidence? Fuck. All right. (laughs) Nell says, Ah! um, I can't choose. Help. (laughs) Riders of Justice, the Green Knight and June are brawling in the top three. Annette and Boiling Point have crushed skulls getting to the top five. (laughs) But Mitchells versus the Machines, Summer of the Gods and Spencer are knifing their way in. So much Ah. beautiful film violence. Very evocative (laughs) uh, (laughs) list of favorites there, Nell. I enjoy it. And it's weird. Because I'm saying this and Nell's sitting directly behind me. Or... <laughs> but I'm talking to you, the listener. <laughs> I love that. I love that distinction. Yeah, what yeah. a what a hell of a year. And what a brilliant sort of Mortal Kombat um, Armageddon-style image that has, that has summoned. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Chris Chris Attaway. Thanks, Ooh. Nell. Chris Attaway uh, <laughs> said, my favourite was Limbo, which I, which oh, I really lovely. wanted to watch. Yeah, it, I it saw looked, it last it year. I saw it last year at the film festival. It's very, very good. A very interesting portrayal of immigrant life Mm. and uh, the condescending ways in which they are spoken to by the British establishment was very, very Ah, believable. Chris continues, it was my first trip back to the cinema in a couple of years and it was perfect. Oh, God bless. Very good film. (sighs) Thanks, Chris. Mm. Ellen says, Mm. Dune has become the movie I've hyperfixated (laughs) upon to the point where all my my co-workers give me shit about it. Fuck yeah. It's not the only reason they give you shit, Ellen. (laughs) You're a bad um, person in general, but I'm really yeah. glad that you like June. Really like you. Yeah. Uh, 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 she goes on Titan, Candyman, mm. The Suicide Squad, Annette, Pig, oh, Encanto, Luca, and I can't stop thinking about the Green Knight. Yeah. Nor can me. No, that's a very yeah, a very consistent list of our own. These are just my god, all these movies. I just can't wait just, to watch them all again and just make them part of my life. They were really, really good. Very good. Kim at KY Kimberly. Hey, Kim. Uh, says, <laughs> uh, it's been a while. I, uh, she says, I love the Green Knight so much. And mm. I'm a medievalist, so period pieces usually make me uh. want to do violence. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm glad on this occasion you managed to stave off violence to save mm. it for a much worthier target. Yeah. And I fucking love movies that are set in medieval times. And I love films that yeah. stray away from the usual kind of thing that we see in medieval dramas. And yeah, this sort of take yeah. on a strange little piece of mythos was really, really mm. unique, and I'm just amazed it exists. Yeah, and just to think of all the people who went in, you know, with those expectations yeah. around what a, a, a period piece would be to find this. Yeah. Ah, oh. <laughs> oh, shame it doesn't have... Uh... <laughs> Well, no, it's not a shame it doesn't have mass appeal. Fuck everyone. So um, Sophie says, oh, realising at this moment that I only saw three 2021 releases this year and oh, I didn't no. love any of them. Oh, no. <laughs> but, uh, Space but, Jam um, 2. But, she, but uh, one of the three was The Dig, which she did enjoy, but it's oh, not cool. a new fave. Yeah, I really like The Dig. It I was enjoyed a, The it Dig. Was a, it was a sweet, very bittersweet movie mm. with great performances. Very Kerry Mulligan performances. and Ray Fiennes. Need mm. to see more Kerry Mulligan. 
Oh yeah. Always. Um, Ryan at 27 Backspace said, mm. great year for animated films. Particularly oh, enjoyed the Mitchells versus the Machines, yep. Luca and the Summer of the Gods. Absolutely, yeah. Ryan. You fucking king. <laughs> yeah, really good to see great stuff rolling out of unusual places as well. That's the end of the OG team. Thanks, Thanks so OG much, team. Everyone. Right, there's only one last thing to do, and that's have a quick look at the highest grossing films of the year to see how we feel about the state of cinema at the moment. And okay. it's an interesting picture. Um, as usual, because Chinese markets did not close down, really, over COVID, yeah. um, we had movies, three Chinese movies, The Battle of Lake Changjing, which seems to okay. be just a, another one of these war movies, these sort of uh, glamorizing yeah. the state war movies. Hi, Mom, yeah. a state-approved uh, family comedy, which... Um, <laughs> Sounds great. Yep, it's, it's figured to have worked really well because a lot of people couldn't visit family during COVID, so... Oh, yeah, okay. It, everyone went and saw that instead. And Detective Chinatown <laughs> 3, which I have no idea about. <laughs> Nope. Great. Outside of that, um, okay. we have an interesting mix. Obviously, you have the Disney Marvels in here. Yes. At number 10, you have the Eternals, which I'm kind of glad managed to get into the top 10 and do good business, because even though I found it to be a very flawed film, I like the idea mm. that Marvel could make movies that are messy. Yeah. And that they will take a risk yeah. on making something messy. I feel like it should be doing that. I Overall, I felt fairly positive towards yeah. the Eternals. I Me see too. its flaws, but, mm. but compared to Shang-Chi... For example, yeah, you know, it's it, the it's contender this year. I, I would say Eternals leaps and bounds ahead. I would agree, actually. I uh, that's a shame. Yeah. Shang Chi, we've now got a number nine, yeah. which yeah. I will say the the only thing that makes me feel good about that is the performers in it. Most of whom, yes, I really like, including Aquafina. Yeah. Um, and then we have, of course, Spider Man No Way Home as number one. Yep, uh, number one highest grossing film of the year, and that's of, yeah. yeah, of course, very good. It's, makes it's, sense. Yeah, good stuff. But then we have a slightly more diverse picture. Um, at number eight, we have Godzilla vs. Kong, which is a Warner Brothers okay. film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, which is a Sony Pictures cool. film. Mm. Uh, and then two Universal films, F9, which I didn't see, and No Time no. to Die, of course. Oh, yeah, of course, No Time to Die. Yeah, so it's... Was that second? Or? No, that was fourth. So it was Spider-Man okay. No Way Home, Battle of Lake Changjin, How I Mom, No Time to Die. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, sure. <laughs> Here we go. But hey, it's nice to see that <laughs> other studios are getting a big slice of the pie. Um, yeah. And I hope that they all go away and use it to make more of the films that we love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Green, re-release Green Knight. Just re-release Green Knight all the time. And I think that's probably going to do it for talking about 2021. Paul, how can people find out about other years and things that we talk about sometimes? When oh we my like? God. Well, they're there. They're out there if you want them. Yeah. Um, thanks, everyone. 2021. Wow. Can't believe it's gone already. Um, <laughs> in, in, in it's sarcasm, but also sincerely. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for everybody who's listened. Yeah. And um, we'll be back next year. For uh, the 2022 (laughs) recap But until then We're still watching bad movies and finding good things Because we're a bunch of positive idiots Every day Uh, And you can check us out on Twitter and Facebook at OGTPod Send us an email at gmail at OGTPod at gmail.com We have a Patreon where um, our Halloween uh, Scream 2 Uncut and Butt preview is out (laughs) There is more to come We've got a Fiasco one shot coming up And uh, very soon we will be updating our uh, stretch goals Yeah uh, Yes with Some very yeah. exciting possibilities Yes I'm a very exciting possibility <laughs> And I'm this guy And Remember The one good thing About 2021 Is Oh uh, Nearly 60 films <laughs> That you Now need to go and watch Immediately Yeah Including honourable mentions There's probably more than 60 Oh god Go Go Go